Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. We got a whole lot of stuff to get to today on the show, Aaron. Chris Logan to join us from ESPN. He is on the ground, boots on the ground, trying to cover all this Auburn nonsense. Lots of stories on ESPN.com. So you're going to hear from him coming up a little bit later on. We are going to do a full like Dexter style autopsy of the Jimbo Fisher National Signing Day rant and try to explain to you folks out there what he was actually saying. I know you're big into like reading between the lines and translating coach speak, Aaron. So we're going to do that for you guys part by part, body part by body part of Jimbo Fisher's rant a little bit later on. I know you're excited about that. You made it kind of weird, but not as weird as the accidental text typo I just made before the show. That's true. Aaron wanted to soak I said, in the I tub. to say as we speak, but I said as we soak and just send it because I oftentimes do talk to text and just don't proofread. It's one of it's one it's, of my downfalls, my flaws. Side note, is talk to text a boomer move or a like super young hip move? Which one is it? I mean, don't you throw it in the same category? Well, I don't know, because it kind of also feels like you're you're on speakerphone in a store. Is that a good idea? <laughs> it feels a little bit old at the same time. What would Dr. Rick say to you if he saw you talk to text? He would, the same thing he's saying to the people on Medicare and the commercials. Like, what, what are you using, T9 there? What are you doing? This is not T9. Let's move along. I just hit the button and I just talk to it and then I send it. And if it's wrong, which it often is, I send it anyway. <laughs> we will discuss, of course, some of the Super Bowl stuff. This is a week where we have to talk about the Super Bowl. There are two SEC quarterbacks, lots of SEC storylines. Uh, so we'll dive into that, have a little fun with that uh, as well. But we got to begin with Auburn. So in just a second, we'll, we'll start with all the Auburn nonsense. However, before we do any of that fringe element, Aaron Dugan is brought to you by our wonderful friends over at Jasper's. Jasper's is the most regal of restaurants and you can get there in a multitude of ways. You can walk, you can Uber, you can. Why would you do any of those things if you can drive and park your car for free at Jasper's? Valid question. Set you up for that. Alley oop. (laughs) And that was my plan the whole time. Whole time. Thanks for catching on, Braden. Whole time. Go to Jasper's. The parking is free. The drink specials are great. The happy hours are amazing. Uh, and the food is truly spectacular. They're changing their menu. Deb Paquette, award-winning chef here in Nashville that puts that menu together. She's changing it up soon, so there are going to be some new cool menu items over there. Great cocktails, happy hour parking, all that great stuff. We've told you a lot about Jasper's, okay? Just just go to Jasper's. It's delicious. It is. All right, so since the last time we, we spoke to you guys, A lot has happened at Auburn without anything really happening at Auburn. So we'll try to get you up to date. And really, at any point in which you are listening to this podcast, Brian Harson may already have been retained and or fired. So we're just not sure what's going to happen, which makes this whole conversation super interesting and fun. Um, Real quickly, since we last left you, um, we had a statement by the outgoing president basically saying, we're not going to let the athletic department make any decisions which is always great considering the AD is the one who hired Brian Harson, And it's kind of the problem in the first place. We had players saying he was, they were treated like dogs. Then we also had players coming out and defending Brian Harson. Then we have Auburn put out this 
super bizarre, nebulous, vague, means absolutely nothing statement on Monday, basically just saying, yeah, we're still trying to find ways to fire him. <laughs> I'm, parap- I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah. Um, this feels like it's just negotiations at this point, trying to figure out what the buyout will look like. It does not feel like this is a tenable situation for Brian Harson. So we're going to spend the majority of the show talking as if Brian Harson is no longer the head coach at Auburn. But I want to get your reaction first, Aaron. If you, if I were to text you and I were to say, holy cow, Brian Harson's coming back. They're keeping him. He's going to be the coach next year. What would your reaction be? Well, shock and um, fear for how awkward and horrible that's going to be because we know how Auburn treats people when they want them out. And it's just personal character attacks. It's just nasty. Um, and when they're ready for someone to go, they don't hide it. Um, I have a feeling that if once we're at this point, irreparable damage has been made and um, I would be shocked, but also who are you going to get right now? Because you do treat everyone like shit and have done it over and over for a long time. And are you missing Gus right now? Also question. Oh man. I don't think you're missing Gus. No, because they just want to they just want to beat Alabama and he can do that at least. So it's better than nothing. He did. So here, all right. So before we get into all the different ins and outs and what have you of this story, um, and what it means for Auburn moving forward, which is what I'm most interested in. If they were to move, if if and when they move on Brian Harson, what does this mean for Auburn football moving forward? Because I am fascinated with how the fans, because the fans, a lot of fans would disagree with what you just said, which is that we don't treat people like shit, we just want to win. And, and Brian Harson clearly can't recruit, blah, 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 whatever. And, and some of that- I don't think may, Brian Harson's even uh, innocent to all of the fans out there that feel that way. Exactly. And some of the, and and some of that is very valid by Auburn fans. Like, are they going to fall behind in recruiting? And if they are, is you, you got to move now. And, and so I understand all of that. Here's my question though, that I think I want not just Auburn fans to think about, but everybody. Because I think this has happened at Texas A&M and Tennessee recently where things have organized- fallen in line and you'll hear Chris Slow talk about this a little bit later on do Auburn fans love Auburn football as much as they love having control over Auburn football I think Auburn fans do love Auburn football more than they like control I cannot say the same about the major donors the university I think the made the funding those people that are stroking the big checks like control more than they like Auburn football. It would seem to me. So I heard a recent interview with somebody um, who left Facebook and he said for 90% of people at Facebook who work there, it's like care bear land and everybody's just got free food and they're making a ton of money and they're having a great time. But the top 10% of Facebook people that work there, it's like game of Thrones. <laughs> So, and I think that's a pretty fair analogy here to the Auburn fans. I think most Auburn fans are sort of just like, we want to win. We love Auburn football. And maybe that means you get a little too drunk on a Saturday night or whatever, but like largely you're harmless. The, the big ones that are in charge, I think they might actually just value their own opinions over their program and what they think is best. And this is what happened at Tennessee for 20 years. They could not get out of their own way and acting like Auburn is never a good decision. You have to get people in place, namely athletic director and whoever is running the school from the very, very top that you trust. And donors cycle your energy into having people that can actually make the right decisions. Because when you have too many Indians, or is this phrase okay to say anymore? Not enough chiefs and Indians. There's just 
too many people that are getting in the middle of it. And that cripples the people's ability at, you know, in an athletic director position, um, whether this is a good fit or a bad fit, but um, cripples their ability to actually make uh, decisions that are going to have lasting impact to do something that's going to continue to get better. So changing things at every single turn is also not the way. So leaving Brian Harson as the head coach may not be the way either, but you got to get somebody at the top you trust and let them do their thing. Well, and that's what they got pissed off about when Jay Green hired Brian Harson. They got cut out of the process. And they, this again, this is what I'm, if I'm a Tennessee fan and I'm going, Don D. Plyman is now in charge as the chancellor. We've got Danny White as our athletic director who made a business decision to hire Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel may not be the answer long term, mm-hmm. but, but, the, but the organizational structure needed to be solidified. Texas A&M right now today is more organized and solidified from top to bottom than it has ever been in the history of its program. And that's why they are on the verge of, and that's why we're going to talk about Jimbo Fisher, how confident he is right now. They are on the verge of catching up to Alabama because of all of that organizational structure. And, and again, you're going to hear Chris talk about Texas, which I think is fascinating because they're like a whole nother version of Auburn <laughs> coming into the league, mm-hmm. which will be fun for us. Um, by the way, if you are the president of Wokistan, you can tweet at uh, the Aaron Dugan if you do not like her terminology or phraseology that she used. Go with uh, Cooks in the Kitchen. That one is. But I, I'm Cherokees. I can say it. Are you really? <laughs> yeah. I did, I did not know that. Uh, I, I think didn't you... get the skin, the beautiful all ever tan skin, which is why I spray tan on the regular, but <laughs> when some, you lose some, um, what was I talking about? <laughs> I don't know. Go now we're talking cook. about me being Cherokee. Go with cooks in the kitchen. Can't go wrong with that one. Cooks can't in the af- kitchen. You're right. Can't offend anybody, but you're right. Too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, here's the, th- like, I agree with what you were kind of saying there. First of all, you were right on the money. I'll give you credit on this with Derek Mason. Like, clearly, the writing was all over the wall with him. Brian Harson is on vacation, hasn't even left vacation. He's like not even in the country, which is just makes this whole story so great. <laughs> and Mason took a $400,000 pay cut to go work at a lesser job with a guy we've said may not be aligned with his personal vision to get out of there. That says, and so we put a lot of I, I did say that I did not think that was going well. I did not know how they were possibly ever getting along from just what I know about Mason and being around him for so long. I will say that that is a big pay cut. I think that that also means that he saw some of the dysfunction in the program at large as well. And so maybe I shouldn't blame it all on Brian Harsin because I think there's a lot of Auburn dysfunction that we just talked about. One of the former Auburn assistant coaches even was quoted saying, I've coached everywhere and I've seen everything. I've never seen a more dysfunctional place than this. So that's pretty telling. But I will also say not all of that's Brian Harson's fault. No, it's not. That's, that's, that's why I'm Auburn saying thing. that that's a really big pick. I do think a lot of it has to do with probably how Coach Mason did not align with Brian Harson, but I do think that it was obvious that there were other uh, dysfunction dysfunctions about the athletic department at large, which he just, I'm sure, does not yeah. want to deal with. It's also extremely pivotal, pivotal. One more time. God, you got it. No, like you got it. You got it. You can do it. Pivotal. There you go. Not even hard. Well done. Real world road rules challenge. So <laughs> also 
the, this is a pivotal time in coach Mason's career. So you can't go down with a burning ship at Auburn as you know, he's a defensive coordinator, went from head coach to being a defensive coordinator. And I just, I wouldn't want to go down on that ship, especially not if you're getting along or if you're not getting along, which I don't know that to be true, but I would assume. And then you kind of have to get back on the up and up, which maybe he felt like Oklahoma state was the right move. Now $1.1 million to be a coordinator at Oklahoma state still pretty cushy Tempur-Pedic landing spot there. Not bad. That, that's a pretty nice land. Oh, I, I'm I'm in a terrible cancerous situation. I'm going to get out to make one over a million dollars uh, at a program that's like winning football games all the time uh, with a far less pressure on on it than, than Auburn. I just And you don't have to live in Auburn. Oh, hey, watch your tongue on that one. I love Auburn. <laughs> that place is great. It is. It's really, really fun. Stillwater, it Oklahoma is. is not better than Auburn. I will defend Auburn on this one. I have not been to Stillwater, Oklahoma. I have been to a game at Auburn and I had a blast. So you're not, right. I should not say that. Is not better than Auburn. Auburn is a lovely village on the plains. Um, so I, I will, there are a couple of points I think Auburn fans are fair to make. And which I think is interesting about Brian Harson. In, and I'm going to call it hindsight here <laughs> because who knows what's going to happen. Okay. But, and this is the, the reports and people I've talked to about this as well will tell you that Brian Harson, um, while it is admirable that he refuses to cheat in recruiting, quote unquote cheat, I'll just use that as like a catch all term to, you know, whatever. I, I, it's very naive to, to think that you can just out scheme, out coach, out develop everyone in the SEC who all who can all do all of that, too, and recruit probably in the gray area like we know the SEC likes to. And so fans who say, look, this isn't good enough. You were never going to get the players. We need to cut bait. That's fine but be honest with yourself about whether or not you already had a preconceived notion about Brian Harson and you're using it to validate those opinions. Mm-hmm. Or if you like, Hey, I was going to give him a chance. Now he just signed like the ninth rated recruiting class in the sec. That's not good enough in the sec West when Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban are one and two. I, I just think there needs to be an honest conversation. I think Tennessee fans are going to have to have this conversation about Josh Heupel very soon this time next year, potentially. So I just think there's, I think that's a valid argument against Brian Harson, but I think you sort of you have to be honest about when you came about that opinion. If that makes yeah, sense. when are you are you just confirming something that you already thought to be true, right? Or is this actually what you saw play out? And I mean, if the season had gone better and they had not had some of the controversial moments or topics with everything going on the past year. Would they give him another mm-hmm. chance if they liked him better? Like, can you is is recruiting in the ninth best class in the SEC at Auburn ever okay? No, not really. But do you, you get beat, one year to do that? But if you beat Alabama, as- it would have been. You had Alabama beat the team that played in the national championship game and your arch rival. You had all you beat. had to do. You had them. You needed one stop on defense. One stop. Would that really have? I, I I believe that it would have, but would that really have changed the entire trajectory? Okay. You were mid sentence and you're like, Oh wait. Yeah. That, that would have mm-hmm. changed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I still don't find him to be particularly transparent or likable, but you He's just a little stubborn. He's you just deal, I guess when you, the only thing you've ever wanted is beat Alabama and you beat him. So I guess you just take a hit. And, and a lot of players are saying this, like some of the, the older, more mature players, I would argue, are saying he's not he's not trying to be our best friend. We don't need a best friend. We need a football coach. And that that's a pretty self-aware thing to say as a 19, 20, 22 year old kid. 
because your coaches, I know players want to be like coddled and treated like little angels. And like, I'm trying to deal with this on how to raise my kids without being entitled. Like it's just a, it's a part of, it's not the junction boys anymore. Okay. Like that's, we don't just like scream and dog cuss at people, but you also don't need someone who's trying to be your best friend and let you get, get away with whatever you want. Like there needs to be order in, in a football program. And Nick Saban has figured that balance out. You know, Kirby smarts figured that balance out. I think Jimbo Fisher's figuring it out now. I think Mark Stoops, when we talk about stability and organization from the top to the bottom, I, how, does it get any more in line and aligned than Kentucky right now? I mean, that's a, a brilliant organizational structure right now. Yeah. I would be interested to know the sentence or some players saying that he treated them like dogs. That's to me though, that I'd like to know what about that is true or what that looked like just because that's not just because you don't get along with someone that's not the language you use to describe if you don't like someone like they treated me like a dog. He treated me like a dog is a very specific type statement. Like, so I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, and that I know, yes, I totally agree with you. I need something specific to know. Are you overreacting as a young person who doesn't feel like he's getting his way or there's an actual problem with the way this person treated me? Is that, is that what you're saying? Like we need, yeah, to, know, and- we need to know the difference. And if you just, if you were the young person that just wasn't getting their way, would you really use that sentence? Yeah. 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 Or I think you would have, if you use that sentence and it wasn't true, that would be a very manipulative thing to do. But I think if you're a young kid, it's not getting their way. You'd say, oh, he sucks. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Play calling's horrible. We can't even, we can't, you know, we only won six games. Like, I don't know if you'd be like, he treated me like something that wasn't a human. <laughs> I, I have to really uh, fight my inner dad middle-agedness in this conversation to not just be like oh they're probably just saying whatever gets them the most likes whatever gets it like and i'm that's the wrong could approach very very well be true but 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 see it could be true uh, all right let, I, i'm and chris Lowe is going to talk about some candidates for the auburn job should it come open which we are assuming of course it is um i just here's my question to you if you are a, pr- a, a prospective coach and we know a ton of these guys didn't take the job billy napier's at florida because he yep. didn't want to go to auburn Yep. Like that's it. So they had a tricky time finding the right guy just 14 months ago. They paid 21, $22 million to Gus Malzahn to not coach. They would owe Brian Harson a little around 19 million. So we're talking about $40 million to two guys not to coach before they hire anybody. So here's my question. When I say that out loud and you're a coach somewhere else in the world, you're Matt Campbell at Iowa state, you're Kevin Steele, you're floating around, you're competitive and you like money. When you hear $40 million to not coach, but you got fired right away, does that make you more likely to take the job? <laughs> or does it make you less likely to take the job? To me, well, <laughs> that buyout mean, life $20 million is, is again, a lot of million dollars. But <laughs> the thing is, it, if you, it depends on what else you have as a potential option. Because if you're a rising or kind of coming up in the rankings as a coach, uh, you know, some, like Billy Napier's situation, ends up at Florida, he held out for something better because Auburn's great if it's going to make you. But if you know that you can make it no matter what, 
and Auburn could just break you, I think you really have to think through it. And I think Billy Napier really did the strategic smart thing in this particular yeah. situation. Cause he's like, I'm a great coach. I can get this done. I can recruit. I'm not going to go down with the, the ship that is Auburn. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait it out. Cause I have enough faith in myself. Now, somebody that's teetering on that edge that hasn't quite made it there. They're like, I'll screw it. I'll try it. You I mean, just, you just described Kevin Steele. Like the guy who's been trying to be a head coach in the SEC, like everywhere, forever. <laughs> he would take it. He would take it in two seconds. Also, here's the other thing. If you're on vacation and you're, I don't know where he is. I don't know where Brian Hartson is. But if you're in Turks and Caicos, like, don't you just say, wire that money to the offshore account and I'll just stay here with my family. Yes. Like, I don't want to pay taxes on that. Just give it to me now. Here's a router. Here's a routing number. Shoot me that cashola. <laughs> I'm just going to buy a, an apartment right here in Turks and Caicos for the kids. And we're not going anywhere. Forever. Maybe that's what they're negotiating. Maybe they, he's willing to take the price down if they'll give it to him. <laughs> Offshore. Offshore. Ill he's like, all right, I'll take 17.5. <laughs> Illegally. <laughs> Illegally. Allegedly illegal money transferring. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, all right. So any, either way, I think the major lesson here for everybody in the SEC is to understand the value of organizational alignment. That is clearly what Auburn has been dealing. Now, what makes Auburn even more special, not to keep staying on Auburn here. I didn't mean to do this. But what makes Auburn truly special, though, honestly, is that they can have this level of dysfunction all the time and have almost made it to three national title games in the last 12 years. Like, they're the only program that can be completely dysfunctional with no alignment and still in 2010 win the Natty and in 2013 play for another one and almost play for another one in 2017. Like, that's... There's very few programs that can do that. I, I I don't know how they do that. Most of them, if there's, you know, uh, a history of being great, but major dysfunction, you end up with an LSU situation, which is a dumpster fire one year and then right, uh, right. much better showing the next year. It's not just, oh, yeah, we're a dumpster fire, but somehow we're still winning. So I guess props to you. But it's literally a roulette table in like an alleyway in the quarter. That's what coaching at LS, LSU is like. Mm -hmm. That's that's what it's all about. So speaking of organizational structure, I know every, we've talked a lot about Auburn the last two weeks, and you'll hear from Chris Lowe coming up a little bit later on. We are going to talk about the Super Bowl and be pretty lighthearted here for just a minute because that will include Joe Burrow, Matt Stafford, a bunch of other SEC players. We'll give you some history, some prop bets, and some conversation about the Super Bowl. Um, you know, Tennessee, I think, again, we've used that as an example of, of a place where they've sort of formed alignment, but they've got a long way to go before they're going to be relevant. Kentucky's much further along. You know, Georgia obviously is what they are. Billy Napier's trying to do that. It sounds like he's got some buy-in and alignment from the administration at Florida. Yes. We've talked a lot about LSU and Brian Kelly, but let's get to Jimbo Fisher because <laughs> Jimbo Fisher had quite a press conference on National Signing Day last Wednesday. And we are going to dissect everything that he said during his three-minute rant and we are going to break it into parts and try to explain to you what we think he's actually saying. This is the autopsy of a coaching rant. Here is the first chunk of audio that we'd like you to hear from Jimbo Fisher's rant. This is point blank to the because here, here's here's my problem. There is no thirty million dollar fund. There is no five million. There is no ten. This is garbage. Okay, and it does. It pisses me off that people and here it comes from a site called Bro Bible by a guy named Slice Bread. Then everybody runs with it. So it's written on the internet as gospel. How irresponsible is that? You got, I'm going to tell you, some of, there's some very reputable writers in college football and sports that wrote it and have said it and have done things. That's unbelievable to me. Some, I, when I first heard it, 
I laughed. I said, oh, yeah, what a clown. I mean, somebody, I didn't even think anything of it because I don't have social media. And it kept building, and lately I've heard more about it. To me, it's insulting to the players that we recruited that that's why they would come here. You ever been to a game here? You ever come to school here and see the education? You ever talk about the 12th man, the Aggie Network, when you're done? There ain't a better university in this country. And it's insulting to what you say. And all these, and we got writers who, who have said it and done it off sliced bread. A guy named Sly who made it up. Love to see who sliced bread is and put it out there with sliced bread. Let me find out where it comes from. <laughs> uh, the sliced bread thing just made it so much better. Well, and he's a user that like, you probably can't divulge who that is. Like he's Jimbo's not wrong in what he's saying about like how all this originated from like a message board post or whatever. And then like reputable people ran with it. He's correct about that. Here's what I think. I want to see what you think he's, he's saying here, but here's what I'm hearing. Okay. I, I don't like, just like how Nick Saban's always talking to the, his, his recruits, right. And almost everything he says, he's either talking to his team or to his recruits. He's talking to players either way. I think Jimbo Fisher is doing the exact same thing here. I think what he's trying to tell people <laughs> is, Hey, recruits, there's not, we're not just going to be handing out million dollar funds to everyone who comes to Texas A&M. Like, I think there's some lowering of expectations here to understand that. Yes. While we do have all of these awesome things and yes, we are, you know, all the things he mentioned, the network and the job opportunities and playing in front of 110,000 and Kyle field and the facilities and the 150 foot waterfall and all that stuff. He's, he's also sort of saying to recruits like, all right, hang on. We're, we're not just passing out checks here, folks. Like mm -hmm. NIL is going to help us. But to me, what I'm hearing him say is sort of like he doesn't want the next five star to come to him and be like, what about that five million dollar fund you got? <laughs> you know, does that make I sense? I think he definitely doesn't want that because you don't want to be disappointed when you go visit, do your official visit at Texas A&M that, you know, you can't buy your whole family a car and, you know, you're not you're not getting a new house. But I do think there's some genuine anger. Not that it's not genuine. Jimbo's pretty straight up. Most of the time we'll hear him later allude to some things that he can't really totally say, but, um, the, there is some genuine anger and frustration. And I understand that because Texas A&M has, I mean, it is a very hard school to get into people out of state might not know that, but the education there is actually, it is underrated to people outside of Texas. People from Texas know how hard it is to get into A&M. It's very hard. The 12th man experience is incredible. Um, there is a huge network of people. I mean, there's freaking 70, 80,000 kids that go to school there. It's crazy. So I do think there's some genuine frustration where he's like, really, you know, if we didn't pay you $5 million, you wouldn't come here. This, this place is awesome. I, um, I, I but also, you're all in all right that he doesn't want recruit to show up expecting money and then be like, Oh, okay. And, and I'm disappointed in him, although I love it because <laughs> I'm here for this entire thing, <laughs> but I, I, the one thing I don't think like Jimbo Fisher should be worried about is what's being said on message boards like that. Like there are some major, we've talked about this. There are people that are billionaires with a capital B that have pseudonyms, fake names and burner accounts on message boards. So you got to be careful with what you're reading and what you care about. And I think what he kind of, what he's saying is why isn't everybody else being careful about this? Why am I talking about bro Bible and sliced bread, which is just fantastic i love it i love it it so. is and maybe a call to the media too of like can you guys yeah. figure out something more interesting or genuine or at least true to talk about or do you have to make stuff up if here's, there isn't really a 30 million dollar fund here's an example of that talk to some folks in college station 
There is absolutely name, image, and likeness money aligned coming from boosters to help recruit for Texas A&M. Is it a $30 million slush fund? No. So the reality is kind of in the middle somewhere. Name, image, and likeness is a huge, huge deal, and it is absolutely helping Texas A&M, but it does not mean that they're just cheating or whatever. <laughs> so uh, He's also right. mad because he doesn't want to talk about anything but football, which is Jimbo in a nutshell. But for a guy that uses a lot of words, though, Man, his 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 offense is one of the slowest in college football. His mouth is one of the fastest. There's no question about that. All right, this part whole two, interview is gold. Part two of the Jimbo Fisher rant, where he begins to attack all of the other people in the SEC. Braden's favorite part. And then to have coaches in our leg and across this leg to say it, clown acts. All right, irresponsible as hell. Multiple coaches in our league, and the guys griping about NIL, griping about transfer portal, using it the most and bragging about it the most. That's the ironic part. You want character? I'll, trust, I'll take it with any of y'all. It's a joke. It does piss me off. The other thing, when you look at, at, at vice president, I get another one, vice president of Notre Dame. Supposed to be a reputable university, right? That's a heck of a person leading a reputable university. I'd be real proud if I hired that guy. Read it off sliced bread. But it, it, they say it because it's written on the Internet. What are, we worry about the kids and social media and Internet. How about grown-ups? How about the guys that are supposed to be setting an example? How about writers who are supposed to be writing the right thing? How about coaches who are supposed to be doing the right thing? <laughs> read like it how, off sliced bread. Hey, read it off sliced bread. That's yeah, my favorite I, part of the whole I, thing. I, how fast he can say reputable is really impressive. He can speak very quickly. <laughs> he, can, he can say, so he, this is where he's beginning. He's still kind of attacking Notre Dame and attacking the media, but he's beginning to start pointing to the irony and the hypocrisy of the portal and NIL and a lot of coaches, because here's the deal. And, and again, Chris Lowe's going to say this later. None of these rules are what Nick Saban wants, but he is willing to use all of these rules against you to win a championship. Does that make sense? So like when Nick Saban says like, Oh, I don't want this, or I don't want the portal or I don't want name image and likeness, or I'd rather the game slow down or, you know, all these things that he always says, it, it's like John Calipari saying, I don't like the one and done, but if you're going to give me these one and done rules, I'm going to use them. And that's mm -hmm. that. Like, so I don't, this to me falls on deaf ears. Like uh, to me, it's all fair and in, in love in college football. Like if Nick Saban's doing it and you're doing it, don't complain to me about who's doing NIL and what they're saying. Like you just gotta, you, you just gotta go with it. Am I wrong? He's all, he's, this interview is all over the place, at least at the beginning. So it's not even, an, it's just him ranting. It's just him ranting. Yeah. So, to me, is he mad because – so I know the, the – like Notre Dame repeated it or whatever. Did that happen with Saban as well, or is this just kind of attacking out of left field on, on no, Saban? Let's, let's get to the next cut, though, because this is where he starts. And, and, and hypocrisy, like, again, I, I'm super into, like, politics and news and current events and world events and you know foreign affairs and everything like the idea that hypocrisy is somehow now a public shaming tool to get someone to change their behavior that shit is gone y'all <laughs> like like ain't nobody shamed anymore by hypocrisy just look at what's happening in our country across the board and so i don't think this is going to work but let, let's let's hear the next part of this because this is where he starts to allude to not so subtly that all y'all are cheating. <laughs> that, that's basically what he says right here. This is my favorite part. How about coaches are supposed to be doing the right thing? And I'll tell you what, I know how some of those guys recruit too. 
Go dig into that. I know the history, I know the tradition, I know, and I know things. Trust me, you don't want to go down that avenue. It's ridiculous, and it's irresponsible, and it's unbelievable. They ain't just talking about one. Multiple people got NIL issues. It's funny, when Nick Saban said his quarterback got an $800,000 deal, it was wonderful. Now it ain't wonderful no more, huh? But ours, at, ours we ain't got that. Ours are on record what comes up. We ain't doing all them big deals. There ain't none on our place we know of. That's funny when you do it. It's and then we gripe about the transfer portal, then you take you guys take more than everybody. What's about that? And what goes on? Hip the hypocrisy is a joke. <laughs> I like it. I, I know things. <laughs> I know I know stuff. things. I know things. <laughs> uh, first of all, I don't doubt that he does. I don't doubt that all these coaches are playing in the gray area. And again, the guys he's talking about are specifically Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin, really. Like there's some other names in there probably too, but I, I'm I'm so here for this. I'm so here for now. There's two ways to look at this. One is don't become Hugh Freeze, where you like tweet out like, "Hey NCAA, come investigate me," and if you find anything, good luck. And then like they did, so that yeah. you don't you don't want to do that. Mm -mm. But I do. I'm so here for the petty coach versus coach. Like you're you're a hypocrite. No, I'm a hypocrite. You said you didn't like nil. That they're all just conducting business they're all just trying to recruit and they're all just trying to lure talent i i'm just so here for the pettiness nick's lane kiffin's posting portal king with a tiger king meme on the internet like this is how i'm here for it man give it to me i love it you this is part of the it comes with the up leveling. So when you have the success that texas a&m is having right now and it's projected to have it's it's lonely on top. People just come for you. It's going to keep happening. Happens to Alabama all the time. I mean, everyone wants to know all the dirt on everything. And he's saying like, oh, Nick Saban's doing this. Y'all aren't talking about that. Well, people do always talk about everyone <laughs> that's at the top. So like, it's that's not true. Um, right. You just you just landed the greatest recruiting class in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. You don't think it's, a coach is going to say something about you? It's going to come with resistance always. I love it. And um, the deflection to me is really funny because he's just like trying to throw shit out. So reporters, he's like, hey, go look at that and just get away <laughs> from me. I'm trying to do a good job and y'all are just trolling me. So here's a couple hints about other things people might be doing that you should go look at, <laughs> which is just ridiculous and hilarious. I, I, I can't tell you all the things that I know, but I know. <laughs> I know shit. Trust me. And that's my. That's and then my he puts favorite. his glasses on. It's like what a dad does when they get mad. He puts his glasses on, yep. takes them back off, puts yeah, them back on. He doesn't know what to do with them. Yeah. Mm -mm. All right. All right. So this brings us to, and I think you just touched on this. When you are at the top, you're doing the things the right way. You're going to get attention. The, the, you know, the light, the spotlight gets brighter. I think for Texas A&M fans, we've had some fun with your coach here. This is going to be the most interesting one right here. The, the, this is, this I think is the one that Texas A&M fans care the most about right here. The hypocrisy is a joke. It's an absolute joke, and it's insulting to, uh, to our staff, how hard we work, to how we do things, and it's insulting to Texas A&M because there ain't a better place to go to school and play ball. If you don't like it, we're coming on. Get used to it. All right? We ain't going nowhere. It, it, it's, it's an absolute joke that people put the hard work in and do it. It's irresponsible, but it's funny when they get it, it's all okay. Ball games are changing, man. And it ain't because of NIL and what goes on. It's pretty irresponsible of all of them. They're clowns. Go next. If they question. got a problem with it, come see me. 
I ain't a hard guy to find. We'll be in some meetings. You can say anything you want. We can do anything you want. I ain't got no problem with it. I promise you that shit. All right, Travis, next question. <laughs> I left the guy in at the very end who's um, mediating it's, probably it's, the football uh, SID. It's Alan Cannon who's trying desperately to stop the rant. <laughs> well, he's kind of laughing because he can't help I know, it. He's like, I, I, I promise you that shit just keeps uh, going. The, the work coming thing, that's the one I think is the most. First of all, I just there are going to be a lot of meetings where all these coaches are going to be in the same room together, and I can't wait for that. Um, I wish we could film it. <laughs> but uh, I will say the we're coming thing, get used to it. We're coming on, like all these different fra- – he is very confident in where his football program is right now. And I, mm-hmm. I would agree with him that he should be confident where his football program is right now because they got dudes and they got more dudes coming and they are going to be in a better situation from a roster standpoint than maybe they've ever been in, in the history of their program. I, he is confident and you, you don't go be- on that. You don't go on that rant if you're not confident. That's yeah. That's what I was about to say. Because you have to do, you have to be one of two things, and probably both. You have to be so very confident because you do not want to eat your words on this, and you got to be kind of mad because you don't. You would much rather. Most coaches would say, "I'd much rather surprise people in a good way. I don't want people to know how good we are. I don't want to overstate things." So you have to be kind of fired up and super confident to go down this route because there's not really an upside unless you can back it up. I, I love everything about pissed off Jimbo Fisher picking fights with Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban. I love everything about it. He's love funny. It. Wait, is it, it wasn't Jimbo. Who was it talking about the Who had the golf drama? It with was Saban? Jim, Jimbo. And Saban. Was it Jimbo? Yeah. Yes. And then he's, he's like, said something about going to beat you. And uh, <laughs> Saban and said he, in golf. <laughs> yeah. And then beat him <laughs> or in football. I can't remember how that went down, but no, that it was, was it, it gold. Was in go- yeah, Saban was like, it's in golf. I'll see you on the course. And then and then Jimbo beat him on the field, it, which, yes. which, which, of course, makes the whole thing even juicier that he's now lost to, to Jimbo Fisher uh, in overtime in College Station with one of the most memorable moments in the history of Aggie mm-hmm. football. So there you have it. There is the autopsy, the anatomy of a coaching rant at a press conference on National Signing Day. Come I'm get here. some. I'm so I'm so I'm so here. I'm so here. I'm so here for it. It's great. Bring it on. It's so what does he say at the end again <laughs> said because if not uh he said uh i guarantee i don't know he said something about i guarantee I you that shit, I guarantee you that shit. <laughs> hold on let's do it more let's uh, play the very end again. oh you got you got you can play the very end you got that all queued up i ain't a hard guy to find we'll be in some meetings you can say anything you want we can do anything you want i ain't got no problem with it i promise you that shit <laughs> i promise you that shit. i promise you that shit That's so i I, so good. I'm a fan. I am too. All right. I'm here for the pettiness. Just give it all to me. All right. When we come back, we're going to touch on the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow, Matt Stafford, all the storylines, some history there. Does Aaron actually understand what a bar bet is? No. And we'll hear from Chris Lowe from ESPN as well. All that when we come back right here on Fringe Element, right here on the 440 Sports Network. Fringe Element is brought to you by the wonderful folks. At which restaurant, Aaron Dugan? Jasper's on West End in downtown Nashville. There you have it. So last year at the Super Bowl, because of the pandemic, right? Like all the COVID stuff, we did an entirely catered Jasper Super Bowl party at the house. It was awesome. We had chicken wings, cheese dip, uh, all the great stuff. Like all. In the case stuff- the listeners were wondering, I don't feel bad for interrupting you. I was not invited to said Super Bowl party. 
Um, nor, nor was anyone else. Oh, it was during oh. COVID. <laughs> okay. Well, he and wouldn't have invited we, me. We anyway. didn't even have vaccines at that point. There's no chance. Well, I haven't we been invited. invited to this year's Super Bowl party either. You know what's terrible? Like, go to Jasper's, by the way. That's not terrible. That's wonderful. Yeah. Go to Jasper's. Uh, we, I, I looked at my wife on like Tuesday and was like, hey, are we going to do anything for the Super Bowl? Like, the kids are old enough to kind of stay up and watch it. They love the halftime show, which, by the way, I can't wait for the halftime show. Halftime show is one of the few I've actually been genuinely excited about. Can seeing. you name everyone in it again? Uh, Dre, Snoop, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, Mary J. Blige. It's all L- Los Angeles, Southern California, hip hop. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait for it. Very rarely do I get excited about a Super Bowl halftime show. I'm, I'm all in on this one. Um, and I, we just don't even have plans. If you do not have plans, Jasper's is a great place to collect a bunch of really awesome, shareable, snackable food. Go pick it up and bring it to your house and you'll have your entire smorgasbord set up for the Super Bowl. It's so Jasper's. good. I highly, I am picking up, I'm going to a Super Bowl party because I was not invited to Braden's and um, I am taking a dish from Jasper's. There you go. The Can queso, you guess which one, Braden? Uh, I, I, uh, sweet potato fries. I'm actually going to take two. Sweet potato fries with pulled pork and barbecue barbecue pulled pork on top of no just because fries are harder to travel that's true they are oh, nothing an air fryer can't fix but the, the queso here's what i'll say about queso a lot of times you go to a cheap restaurant you get queso turns into a block in your stomach because it's just like a you know like it's not real right yeah you go to Cheese jasper's real. that queso I, I i went to the get i went to jasper's picked it up brought it home like had it sit on the counter for like 30 minutes opened it up and it was still totally soupy and creamy like which means that's the real stuff which means it's not also hardening in your intestines. Exactly. Go and to Jasper's where they don't fuck with your intestines. I, the fact that you dropped the F-bomb for Jasper's means you care. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, no, it's a sign. It's a sign. I'm taking We're, we're the, going to another level with our relationship. Yeah, you really are. I'm taking the um, queso. You're right about that. And wings. Uh, wings are number one. Wings are Got number to. one football, sports, Final Four, Super Bowl. doesn't matter. If I'm watching a sporting event, the number one thing I would want is wings. What two wings of Jasper's would you take? I think I know which ones I'm taking, but I don't want to bias you because I want to see if you say the same thing as me. Between well, Buffalo, Bang Bang. They have the Buffalo, know? the Red Rum, right? And the right. And bang it's bang? Right now, it's the smoky, Ooh, I like, like the one. smoky red dry rub ones. And then they have the garlic Parmesan, Bang Bang, and Buffalo. I uh, like the buffalo and the smoky dry rub. Those are my two favorites. Okay, I'm going buffalo and bang bang, I think. I like spicy, and then I I really love, if Deb's listening, which of course she does, if she'd like to go, <laughs> if she'd like to concoct her own Alabama white sauce so I can have a spicy buffalo chicken wing and then like an Alabama white sauce smoky wing, that would be mm-hmm. heavenly right there. I do love an Alabama white sauce, and I don't feel like it's cheating on Memphis, Tennessee because it's so different. Nope. Go to Jasper's. Roll Tide. All right, we'll hear from Chris Lowe uh, from ESPN coming up in just a minute. Um, you guys, a great interview. He's going to give you some candidates potentially for the Auburn job. He's going to talk about Texas and their dysfunction and how it compares to Auburn, what lessons we can learn from all the dysfunction at Auburn. Um, he's, uh, he's Chris Lowe, man. I don't even know why I'm trying to tease the interview. You don't, yeah, you don't have to justify him. He's good. He's all set. So a couple of things real quickly on the Super Bowl because that is actually happening this weekend. And I just, I'm just curious who you are rooting for um, as a – impartial observer i'm not a rams fan or a bengals fan 
Matthew Stafford, Joe Burrow, lots of SEC players. You got Leonard Floyd, Ashawn Robinson in that front seven for the Rams. Sony Michelle won a Super Bowl, I believe, with the Patriots. So the year of the Georgia Bulldog could could be an effect if Leonard Floyd and Matt Stafford and Sony Michelle all win a Super Bowl. Um, Andrew Whitworth, who played at LSU uh, in the 90s, <laughs> is starting in this game for the Rams as well, which is crazy. You got Odell Beckham, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow from LSU. You got Terrell Lewis. Um, we don't know if C.J. Uzoma is going to play. Jonah Williams on the offensive line for Alabama protecting uh, Joe Burrow. There's just tons of SEC stuff. So I guess I'm just my, my question is who are you rooting for, Joe Burrow or Matt Stafford? If you're if you're rooting for one of them, which one and why? So from a Titans from a Titans fan perspective, and I have friends that grew up in Cincinnati, so I guess I feel for them, and I've loved the you know, they beat the Titans. So look a little better. Not that it really matters at this point. Um, my dad's best friend, this is not supposed to be morbid at all. It's Danton would be enjoying this, but Danton co- or, uh, worked at the Rams for a long time. My dad, one of my dad's best friends passed away from COVID not too long ago. And, um, that I'm sure he's going to be watching the game wherever he is and be stoked if the Rams win. So I don't see there's a downside Um, I love the fact that these are both two underdog stories and I am going to enjoy the game either way. I know that's not very fun, but I will be happy for both sides. I think if I'm pulling one direction, I'd like to see the Rams win. I I am fascinated by what fans root for after their team has been eliminated by said team that continues on. It's always something interesting. Well, the SEC has got this, and this is the one thing, maybe maybe there's nothing I disagree with more with SEC football fans than the SEC chant that like a, a, a Tennessee fan or a Kentucky fan or a South Carolina fan is doing for Alabama in the national title game. There's nothing more upsetting and mind numbing than watching people root against their own best interests. And I do not understand the SEC, SEC, SEC thing when it comes to football, because if Alabama wins that game, it's harder for your team to recruit players. I don't understand. Wait, do you, do you think that's always, it's sometimes used sarcastically, and I think sometimes no. used seriously. No, it's never sarcastic. Do you you know this? Well, okay, you, then you so then advantage. no, but now you're confusing me because if they really if they aren't being sarcastic, then they do want Alabama to win and they get it. No, they're rooting. So you do you, you know what I'm talking about? Like SEC, yeah, yeah. SEC fan who's not whose favorite team is not in the championship. Yeah. Is chanting SEC, SEC after Alabama wins the title. Auburn fan, LSU fan, Tennessee yeah, fan, it's Georgia just fan, right, it's, fan. It's okay. You were, we're saying the same thing differently. It is, it is the dumbest shit I have ever seen. I don't understand it. In the NFL, I think it's a little more interesting because it doesn't have an effect on like you don't get more salary cap if your team goes to the Super Bowl. Like like the Titans or the Packers aren't going to be worse off if the Rams or the Bengals win. It doesn't affect recruiting. It's not there's not a tangible impact on the win or the loss. Right? If Alabama keeps winning titles, they're going to recruit easier, and that's bad for your team. So you shouldn't root for them. You should root for Ohio State or Clemson or whoever. Um, I am curious who, like, if you're a Titans fan, which you are, does it hurt more that Joe Burrow's there and Cincinnati's there because they beat you, or are you, or, or is it, are you okay with it because like they're on a mission and they clearly got to the Super Bowl? Does that make sense? I don't think anything about the Bengals making it to the Super Bowl really should hurt. Except for they, <laughs> except for they eliminated you. Yeah, yes, but it's been a long haul for them. Like, yeah, it's not – I would have loved for the Titans to win that game, 
but it's it's not like we got knocked out of, by someone that has been there a million times that uh, we absolutely should have beaten, and it yeah. was just a bad. I mean, it was a good game with some sloppiness, but a good game. And it's the Bengals. It's like you can't be that that mad. I, 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 I tend to agree with that. As a Packers fan, I was the opposite because I hate the 49ers because they've eliminated the Packers four times now from the playoffs. And that's different. So like, if, right. There's history there. Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree. With Joe and Burrow, it's better. like, oh, they're like the little Bengals. Look at them. Like, they're, yeah. they're in the Super Bowl. Good job. Right. Um, which, Joe Burrow again, will also be fine if they don't win the Super Bowl. I mean, it'd be great. Again, you changed the whole franchise. It'd be cool for him to do all three in three years. Two, two years, yeah. Two um, years. I, I'm rooting for Stafford because I think Matthew Stafford is underrated. I think he is sort of lost in the quarterback shuffle of our generation. And I think he's been a far better player. I think he was a far better player in college and a far better player in the NFL than anyone really gives him credit for. So I think just from a quarterback standpoint, Joe Burrow has sort of already accomplished everything (laughs) already. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's got a a long way to go. This is sort of the end of Matt Stafford's career. Georgia wins the national title, a little cohesion with the Rams winning the Super Bowl in the same year. And then Stafford and Georgia gets to both celebrate. I could see that as an angle. Um, can we inter- think about St. Louis? Just how St. Louis oh. feels right now. Yeah, pour one out. Um, I will say this: Al- Alabama four zero starting quarterbacks in the Super Bowl, and it's three different quarterbacks. It's Bart Starr won the first two, and then you had Joe Namath, and then Ken Stabler uh, have all won Super Bowls. Ole Miss is two and zero as a starting quarterback. Both of those were Eli, and in fact, the last Super Bowl MVP that was an SEC player was Eli Manning. Uh, Tennessee, of course, is two and two. All four of those were were Peyton Manning. Um, who I'm assuming we're going to be inundated with the Mannings during Super Bowl ads. Absolutely. It's going to be bad. Uh, Florida's 0 for 1, LSU 0 for 1, Auburn 0 for 1, which is Rex Grossman. Um, I will give you $1,000 if you can name the only LSU quarterback to start in a Super Bowl. I don't think I can do this on the spot. Nope. Nor should anyone. Nor should anyone. David (laughs) David Woodley. No. Uh, won the Super Bowl or lost the Super Bowl back in like 82 or something like that. 72. I'm not sure. Auburn, Cam Newton, of course. Cam. And then Georgia, 0 for 3. Fran Tarkenton lost all three games. Um, so what we do know is that LSU or Georgia, one of the two, is going to have the first ever starting quarterback to from their school to win a Super Bowl. So that's kind of cool. cool. Yeah. Which is, is also cool. which is also a bet you could win at a bar. And I don't get like, it. I was listening to our YouTube. I was watching our YouTube show last week that you put up so graciously and so amazingly on the YouTube. Go subscribe. Please. A lot of good stuff up there, but I was watching the show and I was reliving our conversation about the bar bet because this is only the sixth time that two quarterbacks from the same league are going to play in the Super Bowl and start in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Four of those are the SEC. And I thought, Hey, you can win a bar bet if you can name the four times, you know, that SEC quarterbacks have faced each other in the Super Bowl. And you were asking questions like, well, but don't, doesn't the person need to know the question before you find out about the bar bet? And I was like, I don't think you've had any bar bets. So let me. I don't think the, so either. Let me peel back the curtain here. Peel it back. Okay. If, you, if you're sitting with your buddy at the bar and you're arguing about sports and you look over at your buddy and you go, Hey, I bet you can't name the only four times two SEC quarterbacks have started in the Super Bowl against each other. And the other guy tries. Can I stop you there? Yeah. But I think it's more of a fundamental question I have about bar bets as a whole, because wouldn't you 
in really, really, really quickly know before you decided on an amount that you could or couldn't do that? Like, I bet you can't name these four. And I could tell you right now, like, uh, it could be like uh, Peyton, Cam, blah, and like say, and then be like, oh, I don't know the four. And then I'll just be like, no, I don't want that bet. Well, no, you can't already be, that's, yeah, that's violation of friendship rules there. Like if you're already trying to figure out the answer before you decided. How to do you not it, kind of sort of know right when you hear the question, if you know the answer? Because well, tr- the point of trivia, in my opinion. No, if it's. Tr- this, that's what this is, is just sports trivia bar bet with your buddy at the bar. If you can just, if I took some time to think about it, could I get this right? I bet you can't. And that's where you can go. Oh Yeah. David Woodley is the only LSU quarterback to ever start in a Super Bowl. That's a bar. Hey, I bet you can't name the only LSU. Like, I know a lot of my friends that if I said to them, I bet you can't name the only LSU starting quarterback in a Super Bowl, that I bet you a bunch of them would say, I'll, I'll bet you a beer I can name that person. And then they would spend 15 minutes trying to figure it out, and then I get the beer. Okay. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah, it just can't be things that are just, if it's living right in the very front of your mind, you're going to be better at bar bets. Well, as someone who's worked in sports, I'm, I should be better at sports bar bets. You should Now, be. I would bring my wife with me if it was about actors, actresses, pop culture, that kind of stuff. I don't know any of that. That woman has more useless names in her head, just like I know like Andrew Whitworth. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is I'm sure her- that she thinks some of your knowledge is useless <laughs> as well. No, she completely thinks that my understanding of David Woodley is useless. But her, we can watch a movie or a TV show. We're watching Murderville right now. Fantastic show. Hilarious on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Somebody will come in off as like a third role or something. And I'll be like, oh, I know that person. She's like, that's so-and-so. And I'm like, how the fuck do you know all those names? What do you do? I, I would I'd get smoked in any pop culture trivia. Too much, too much time on the IG. Um, so SEC quarterbacks, 16 of them have started. They're eight and eight. This will be 17 and 18. And the winner will be the first ever winner from their school. So just thought, thought I'd throw that out there. Hey, even the kicker, Aaron. Evan McPherson is a cool SEC story. Yep. He has, um, he recorded the longest field goal in franchise history this year, 58 yards and was perfect. 12 for 12 in the playoffs. Look at that. Not a bad, not a bad moment. Look at you bringing kicker knowledge to the table. Mm-hmm. I like that. He's a rookie out of Florida. There you go. More SEC. I could win a kicker bar bet, I think. <laughs> there you go. A kicker Florida specific bar bet. Well, or just like, what's the most number of field goals a rookie kicker's ever made in the postseason and who did it? That's a good bar bet. And you're like, oh, it's Evan McPherson. He went 15 for 15. Done. Mm-hmm. If he if he kicks three field goals in the Super Bowl, of course. Yeah, I get it. It's a math thing. Um Otherwise, that's about it. You want to hear from Chris Lowe? Got any sure. more Super Bowl storylines you want to hear? Do you want to talk about? Um, no. I mean, we, we named them all. Get to yep. watch Jamar Chase, Odell Beckham. Yeah. Um, a lot of dudes. I think LSU will um, forgive Odell from for his recent transgressions and brag about him if he does well. So <laughs> you think? Yeah, I think so. You think there'll be a, a post on the Twitter sphere? Yeah, I think o- o- Odell holding the trophy in an LSU uniform. I think TigerBait.com will get a hold of them. <laughs> there you have it. Uh, all right. When we come back, you will hear our conversation with the great Chris Lowe. Chris, always a pleasure, man. Great to see you. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. We appreciate it. You bet. It's good to be with you. 
So I'm going to pose a philosophical question first and just see if you're capable of answering it because you are the most qualified probably to do so. Do Auburn, the, the big important people, do Auburn fans love Auburn football more than they love being in control of Auburn football? <laughs> you're talking about the top of the, the top dogs, right? The guys who, who make the decisions, probably a little bit of both. <laughs> you know, a lot of times love of a program, even some of the smartest um most successful people when it comes to college football just sort of lose it all, you know, lose all sort of seeming seemingly the, you know, touch the reality about what's, you know, what's going on or what needs to happen or how you run a business or how you run a football team or athletic department. I think over the years, that's probably happened at Auburn a ton. I don't question anybody there at Auburn's love of that university or the football team, but it's um, this has happened now for, I don't know, better part of the last couple of decades and you're talking three coaching changes in three years I mean that doesn't happen anywhere else but Auburn how do how did we get here to this point based on the last 14 months like how, it, the, most presidents of universities aren't out there saying like oh we're going to separate fact from fiction like that's that's not a thing that ha- there's a lot of passionate fan bases but that's not a thing that happens elsewhere so in your sort of cliff notes version how did we get to this point of inflection with with Auburn You've had a couple of different powerful factions that was sort of butting heads over the last couple of years that um, one faction won this last time when Gus was fired. And then the other faction won when they went out and sort of did their own thing. And Alan Green and Jay Gouge, the outgoing president, went out and got Brian Harson. Uh, a lot of people there didn't think that was going to work. And, and I'm of the mind that Brian Harson's a really good football coach. I mean, you don't go and win like you did at Boise and then just become a, a bad football coach overnight. Uh, but the fit culturally, having not coached or recruited in the SEC, I think a lot of people were concerned about that. And But they brought him in anyway. And, you know, the season fell apart at the end of the season. Let's be honest, man. If they'd finished with nine wins, we wouldn't be having this conversation now. There's no way. But there was that opening with the way the season played out. You had all the players leaving, the coaches leaving. You don't hire, you don't sign a single kid in the late signing day. Uh, there were reports, allegations uh, made that he didn't treat his players well. He had administration officials talking to former coaches and players about that. It just sort of all morphed into where we are right now. And uh, it again, it's Auburn. I mean, you're talking about Gus Malzahn. They tried to get Gus Malzahn, I want to say they – a portion of the power brokers there at Auburn for four years. They finally got him after the 20 season. I'm not sure Gus would have made it in 17 had he not beat Georgia and Alabama there towards the end of the season. He did. He gets a $49 million contract over seven years. And then a few years later, he's gone. So how do we get here? I think you go back and sort of look at that history and that maybe explains a lot of it. And and one stop on one third down against Bryce Young, and maybe we're not having this conversation either, yeah. uh, just like Gus. I, I'm curious how you sort of relate Auburn to some of the other schools that we're, we're seeing, because obviously the SEC, people care a lot. And like we talked about with Auburn fans, there's a lot of people that like reason just sort of goes out the window. I, I, I do feel like we're seeing some lessons, though. Texas A&M, it feels like for the first time maybe ever in the history of their program is sort of all aligned from top to bottom. It feels like Tennessee is more aligned from top to bottom than it's been in a very long time. The difference is it took a lot of both of those programs had to go through a lot of drama and, and sort of turmoil to get to those positions. Whereas Auburn is the only one that feels like they can be completely misaligned, but still compete for national championships. Like it, it just, 
are they going to learn from Texas A&M and Tennessee, or are they just going to keep being themselves, I guess? The program that I would probably say that is most like Auburn, as far as having too many cooks in the kitchen, would be Texas. And look what's happened to Texas over the last few years. And that's a an example of one that, uh, you know, a proud program, a program that's had success, tons of interest, a great fan base, tradition, everything. They've got everything. Great state to recruit to. And, you know, just, again, too many cooks in the kitchen. Your point about Auburn, though, having success is dead on. I mean, for all the dysfunctionality and the complexities of coaching at that place, three times in the last 12 years, they've either won a national championship, they played for a national championship, or in 17, they played for an SEC championship. And had they won that game, they would have been positioned to play off to win another national championship. So it could be done, even in that atmosphere, even with sort of those factions and power brokers wanting to have their hands and everything, it could be done. We've seen it. There's proof there, which is why I think you're going to see people that are always be interested in coaching at Auburn because of that you got everything there, great fan base. And you know, who's hurt the most in all this are the fans. I feel badly for those fans at Auburn who've been in there, you know, every step of the way. And you ever have a chance to go to Auburn on Saturday afternoon for a game Saturday night, it's as good an environment, as good an atmosphere as there is in college football. Uh, those people love the Auburn Tigers and to have to go through this over and over again, uh, has got to be to the point, and I'll be honest, I've heard from a lot of them, and they're sick and tired of it because they understand they've got the infrastructure there to be one of the best programs in college football and sustain that, but there's got to be some patience. There's got to be some people who get together. Maybe they don't see eye to eye. I'm talking about power brokers, people that are influential people there at Auburn. Get together and decide what they want. You know, let's let's pull together and let's unify this place. Bruce Pearl's a great example in basketball. Look at the way he's unified Auburn. You know, he comes in there with some baggage. He gets fired at Tennessee because of NCAA stuff. He has more issues on his staff at Auburn. Uh, but that basketball team right now and the way those people have rallied around yeah. Bruce and that team, it can be done. We just got to see it be done on the football side of it. So, hypothetically, Auburn's going through a second coaching search in 14, 15 months. It's not exactly an ideal time, but we've seen other programs in college football make solid hires. Uh, around this time of the year, Mel Tucker at Michigan State comes to mind. Josh Heupel was hired pretty late in the process as well. It, what impact does the, the last year have on the way coaches view the Auburn job? It's still extremely high paying. You can still win. You just rattled off all the things that make it very interesting and appealing. But some of the guys that could have done that unification, Billy Napier, for example, didn't want the job last time around. So how do how would coaches view yet another vacancy at Auburn if they were having conversations with their agents and their families? I think again, I think it's still an attractive job because of everything that's there. Would some people be quote unquote scared away because of all the difficulties that coach guys have had there with the power brokers? Yeah, but you know, coaches are are typically pretty competitive guys who think they could go into situations and get it right at places where they feel like they have all the things in place to win at a high level. You know, you mentioned Mel Tucker, you mentioned Josh Heupel, and those guys have gotten off to good starts. Um, Gus Malzahn, his first year, went to the national championship game <laughs> his first year. So I would say in college football period, not just at Auburn, it's hard to look at a coach in year one or even through two years and say this guy was a great hire because two years later, sometimes those things sort of flip, and especially that can be the case at Auburn. So, you know, I, 
Nick Saban is another example. He goes in Alabama in 07. They barely get to a bowl game. They lose to Louisiana Monroe. Uh, but Nick was given the stroke to set that thing up the way he wanted to set up. He had Mal Morris as AD, uh, who was great, who made sure that all the people, the cooks in the kitchen, because there was a time when there were a ton of cooks in the kitchen in Alabama. Well, guess what? Now that Nick Saban's winning national championship every year, that's not the case. It's his show. Everybody knows it's his show. That's what's got to happen at Auburn. They've got to have someone, again, who comes in there and unites that fan base, not just the fan base, but the people who count, the prominent people. And as I talked to somebody recently who loves Auburn, loves Auburn with a passion, uh, who's been around that program, who knows that program like the back of their hand, says, listen, I don't know that from a football perspective that we've truly been united since Coach Pat Dye left. That was 1992. 92 when Coach Dye, God rest his soul, left as head football coach. So I'd say it's about time that the Tigers get it right this time. It, it, do you have any idea who that could be? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think an established guy is, is going to go there. Someone that's established. I mean, you, you mentioned Billy Napier. He just got the job at Florida. He's not leaving Florida to go to Auburn. Um, guys are around the country at, at bigger schools. I mean, you know, what a guy like Mike Gundy look at it. I think Mike has maybe maybe it's more attorney agent type deal have reached has reached out over the last year or so to see what might be available and I've always thought Mike was one of the more underrated coaches in college football with what he's done at Oklahoma State and you look at their position now that they're sort of left there in the Big 12 would he be interested in, in jumping into that you know situation in the SEC but as far as established coaches I think he's one Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri you know he coached at Auburn for a couple of years. Now he coached under Malzahn. Would that be a sticking point? I don't know. I think this, I think the guys names, you know, again, hypothetically that you're going to hear are some of the same ones you heard the last time, Kevin Steele, uh, without question, Hugh Freeze, maybe Lane Kiffin uh, would be another one. Lane's got a big buyout because he just got a big contract at Ole Miss and he's making seven and a half million at Ole Miss. Now I, I do think the ceiling's higher at Auburn, but does Lane want to jump in to everything he's got to jump into at Auburn and sort of rebuild that thing back? You know, Freeze makes a lot of sense because he's won and he's recruited in the SEC. I don't think he's going to be scared of Kirby Smart or Nick Saban. He's beating those guys. He's a terrific developer of quarterback talent. He's done that his entire career. He's got the fact that he left Ole Miss on probation. That's never a good thing. Presidents are scared away by that. But you know what? They hired Bruce Pearl, and that worked out fine. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think you can just use that just to keep Hugh Freeze out of the SEC. At some point, that guy has served his penalty, right? He's been at Liberty now for several years. He hasn't coached in the SEC since 2015. Um, everyone knows he's a great football coach. Uh, Kevin Steele's a guy who had a lot of support the last time. He knows Auburn like the back of his hand. It really was his defense that they jumped on that defense's yeah. back down the stretch. And in a lot of ways saved Gus Malzahn's job a couple of different times because they were so good on defense. Uh, he knows a lot of the influential people at Auburn. Now, some people would not want Kevin Steele because they'd say, you know what? It's the same old, same old. He's going to be in with the, uh, you know, the, the good old boys, the old guard. Do we want that? I do think Kevin, though, is the kind of guy that could come in there. He understands the recruiting game in the SEC. He's coached everywhere. I mean, he's, he's coached under every marquee coach. Uh, he knows that game like the back of his hand. Yep. I do think he would do a good job. I really felt like Tennessee 
when they hired Jeremy Pruitt in 17. Remember, they talked to Mel Tucker, Jeremy Pruitt, and Kevin Steele. I always felt like with Tennessee being Kevin's alma mater, that he would have done a nice job there. I also felt like Tucker could have done a really good job, which, oh, by the way, he's killing it so far at Michigan State. So getting it right this time is imperative for Auburn. I, I do think that if they find some cause, which they're not going to find, of course, uh, on behavioral issues for Brian Harson, um, it's going to be hard then to sell Hugh Freeze <laughs> if you if you buy out if you try to get out of the buyout from Brian Harson because of uh, personal conduct. But uh, that's neither here nor there. And I'm with you. Eventually, he's going to have to get another crack at it. Um, do Do you like the snarky back and forth that we're getting from? Not, I'm not, I'm not talking about Auburn coaching stuff, but I mean like Jimbo Fisher and NIL and Saban and Lane Kiffin on Twitter. Like, are you, are you enjoying sort of the, the coaching rivalries blossoming a little bit this off season? That's a new world with NIL and transfer portal. I mean, Saban hates this version of college football, you know, the, the NIL, the transfer portal, but you know what? He hated playing fast too, but like he does with everything else, he will adapt. He will evolve. He's done that his entire coaching career. Uh, and he, you already see he's starting to do that, but that doesn't mean that in, in his mind that he likes the way that kids can just come and go as they want. He doesn't like the fact that you've got outside forces now that are able to pay kids. Now, Alabama's going to do it because they've got people lining up that will do it. I don't know that you will see Nick be right in the middle of that, but he'll adjust. I mean, hey, they don't get in the playoff this year without James Williams a transfer from Ohio state. Think about it without him, there's no way they get in. So he understands what, uh, where, where the game is and, and where it's moving and he will adapt. I mean, he might be 70 years old and he is old school in a lot of ways, but he's not stubborn. He's not stupid. He understands what you have to do and have to sort of keep creating new ideas and moving forward uh, and being creative. As far as Lane Kiffin, he, he accomplished exactly what he wanted to accomplish. You know, he is, he is the king of trolling on Twitter. He got people talking about him. He got people talking about all this football. Um, you know, look, Here we look are. at who, look Here at who we all are. we brought in in the portal. You know, we're not going anywhere. I think Jimbo, it's more, you know, he's tired of hearing about, well, the only reason they did this and got this many players is because they paid X amount of million dollars. I don't know how much they paid. Obviously, NIL had something to do with that class. But I think the other, to me, the deeper meaning of what Jimbo says is – he realizes, understands, and firmly believes that a and on the cusp of doing something special, that they're on the cusp there in the West of breaking through and being a championship caliber team. They've got the talent. They recruited like gangbusters the last couple of years. He's got his quarterback back. You know, I think Haynes King would have been the guy last year had he not gotten hurt. Uh, Jimbo in his mind, and I think he even said it, you know, we're coming. And I think in his mind, this is just sort of the final straw and them setting up what should be a, a really good run for them the next two years. Chris, always a pleasure, man. ESPN.com all over it, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Good to be with you. That was Chris Lowe. And again, but depending on when you're listening to this, there could already be movement. There could already be a new coach. There could already be a hiring process. Uh, or they could have already said Brian Harson's our guy. So with our luck, there absolutely will be <laughs> right when we're done recording this. Right, exactly. Um, so uh, special thanks to Chris Lowe for hanging out with us. Maybe next week we won't have to talk about Auburn. Maybe, maybe not. But we'll probably be talking about a new coach at Auburn next week. So we're probably going to be talking about Auburn. 
Well, Auburn's but fun. we'll do other things. Auburn's fun. And I don't, I make fun of you, Auburn, but it's because I care. Because I genuinely love your town. I love your stadium. I love all the food down there. I love the vibe. I love the whole thing. I just want you guys to quit acting so damn crazy all the time. Well, yeah, we wouldn't really pick on Auburn fans. We were more picking on the control-obsessed donors and maybe Brian Harson's inability to, you know, yes. do things. The, the red wedding atop the booster pyramid <laughs> is taking place right now uh, yep. with the Auburn Tigers. Uh, Aaron, enjoy the Super Bowl. Have a great time at the Thank Super you. Bowl. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube page, rate reviews, subscribe to the shows on the podcast feeds and follow all the socials as well. And uh, where should people go if they want some food this weekend? Jasper's. Oh, that would be a good Valentine's Day spot. It is a great Valentine's Day spot. I won't be doing anything because, well, but y'all should. Story for another time. I Other guess. people should. No, it's fine. We'll talk, about fine. It on the, we'll talk about it on the pod next week. All right. <laughs> Aaron's what, relationship. What are corner. Aaron Dugan's plans for Valentine's Day? I'll make some just to have them to talk about. Go to Jasp. Go to Jasper's. You might find Aaron sitting alone drinking a sad glass of rose. Okay, I gotta go. I gotta log off. <laughs> All right, take it easy, Aaron. You can follow <laughs> her on the Twitters at the Aaron Dugan at Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram at Braden Golf. Thank you guys all for listening. Thanks to Chris Lowe. Have a great Super Bowl, everybody. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Go Tigers. <laughs> <laughs>